Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Ambassadors of Hope. I'm your host, Charles Bender. We're so excited that you've tuned in to hear from local South Florida leaders who are making a difference in our community and region through our charity, Place of Hope. Who are we? We're the largest, most diverse children and families organization spanning Palm Beach County and the entire Treasure Coast. Our goal is to help those we serve find healing and restoration, leading to a brighter future. Since 2001, Place of Hope has served over 25,000 children and youth in South Florida. Place of Hope is a faith-based, state-licensed organization providing programs and services to children, youth, and families to end cycles of abuse, neglect, homelessness, and human trafficking in our local communities. None of this would be possible without our Ambassadors of Hope. The people in this community and throughout South Florida who use their leadership, influence, time, talent, and resources to help others. Many have inspiring stories of their own that tie them intrinsically to our mission, and we hope that their stories will challenge you to get out and make a difference where you live, work, and play. So much can grow from even just one small seed of hope. Welcome to this episode of Ambassadors of Hope. I am your producer for this podcast by Place of Hope, and my name is Maya Elias. In this episode, Charles Bender and I are welcoming guests Lee and Megan Wigglesworth, who share their journey as foster parents. It is beautiful to see their enthusiasm for promoting their story and emphasizes the importance of fostering children in need. Lee and Megan's initial dream of helping children became a reality as they navigated the practical aspects of becoming foster parents. They discussed the challenges and rewards they experienced along the way, highlighting Megan's pragmatic approach and their shared commitment to making a difference. The Wigglesworths emphasize the significance of organizations like Place of Hope in supporting foster parents and children in the foster care system. Lee and Megan encourage listeners to consider various ways they can contribute, such as fostering, volunteering, or supporting foster families. Overall, this conversation underscores the transformative impact of fostering on individuals, families, and communities, while calling for more individuals to step up and support children in need. Welcome to Seed of Hope, a segment filled with warmth, gratitude, and hope. Today, we bring you the heartwarming story of the Sawyer family in Cottage 9. Let's talk about a moment that will be forever etched in our memories. Our boys had the incredible opportunity to attend a Florida Panthers playoff game in a luxurious suite. And with just four seconds left in the game, the Panthers secured their place in the Stanley Cup. And the excitement our boys felt was unparalleled. And we are immensely grateful to the generous donors who made this possible because these memories will last a lifetime. But the surprises didn't end there. One of our boys received a package brimming with excitement as he opened it. To his delight, it contained a personal letter from Mrs. Trump herself, along with a World Cup soccer ball. It was an extraordinary gesture that touched our hearts deeply. In the face of these heartwarming experiences, we are filled with so many positive emotions and happiness. We witnessed the power of dedication, support, and unexpected acts of kindness. And it is through these small seeds of hope that has enriched the lives of the children in our care. And we can't wait to see what the future holds. All right. Welcome, Lee and Megan. 
We want to see if you'd share with our listeners this morning how you first became involved with Place of Hope and a little bit about your personal calling to foster care. Yeah. So first off, thanks for having us. Our process with Place of Hope started in 2012. Mm-hmm. We it dates back further to that with our with you know we felt our call to ministry in this way, but we had a ton of excuses for why now is not the time. And God and his infinite wisdom and humor took all those excuses away from us um, until we were just left with the obedience question if we were going to do what we were called to do. And we kind of went to an orientation at Place of Hope, just thinking, hey, we'll find out what it is. We have a lot of questions. We don't know, you know, different aspects, probably like a lot of other people out there, people listening to this, just what does it even mean? What does it look like? How many, you know, how many people are going to be coming through our house? And we knew the gentleman who was there for orientation. So we we pictured like, we'll hide in the back. We'll get our questions answered. No <laughs> one will know. We'll find some other excuses not to do it. Yeah. And we walked in and our friend was doing the orientation and he like stopped, had everyone turn around and he was like, the Wigglesworths are here. They're going to be the greatest foster family <laughs> in the world. We're like, this is the exact opposite of what we wanted. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but we did. We got our questions answered. And then... Megan is very, what's the next step? What's the next step? So mine was always for years before of like this dream, right? Of like, we can help these kids. These are the kids in need. We can do this. We should do this. And she had the realistic questions of what does this look like? And how does this get applied? And how do we change this? And how do we work through this? And I was more of the, you know, we'll figure that out when we get there. And once we went a couple weeks of Back then, it was the map class yeah. for the uh, licensing. Then she was like, okay, we can do this and we need to do this, this, and this. And then that was scary for me because then it got real. It changed from like dream mode and uh, fantasy mode to like, oh, we're really going to do this. And that's where she's so great because she did. I think all of our paperwork was done by the time we were done with map class. Like As soon as we started getting our homework assignments and like, hey, if you want to do this, you need to do this, this, and this. And she had like got it all done. And when we were done with maps, like it was pretty much left to fingerprinting Mm -hmm. to do it. So yeah, we ended up fostering for three years. Um, One of our, it kind of sounds funny, but one of our deals that we made with God on it was we knew there's, there's always a need. So we were like, Hey, we'll do this for a year and then we'll reevaluate. But then going through the class, like one of the things that really got to us was the results of attachment disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that just really moved us of, you know, for those who don't know, like the attachment disorder of, of, a, of a youth while developing, if they don't get that attachment to a primary caregiver, uh, they don't build that relationship that's most commonly built between mom and child, father and child, relatives and child, then it's just so many lifelong complications they have in building relationships, building trust, um, viewing community the same way as people that they, everybody starts becoming individualistic to them, more like manipulating. Um, and it just broke our hearts. Um, I remember one of the things we were taught is like, Hey, you could get foster babies that don't cry. And a lot of foster parents think like, what a perfect, what a perfect baby. They're so quiet. And sadly enough, babies cry because they have needs that need to be met. And what they've already learned in that young stage, they've already been neglected or abused to the point that they've learned crying gets nothing. It's one of, I think one of the most 
sad parts about kids that are traveling through all this trauma and then great people like yourselves, although not enough, you know, step up to do what you've done. And that's like the secondary part. People don't even realize that and they don't even know what it means. I, I tend to think over all these years that probably everybody on the planet has some degree of attachment mm-hmm. issues, right? Mm-hmm. Just because of broken relationships and unmet expectations, but how much more so for these young people who mm-hmm. lose all that early on, end up sort of in a foreign environment. And sometimes, as you know, it repeats itself in the mm-hmm. system as well, where right. there's just a lot of disruption and so forth in their lives. Mm-hmm. Oh. So when we learned that, we were like, well, we're never going to be, we're never going to give up on a child in our care. So our deal was one year. But no matter where we are in a placement at the end of that one year, we'll see that placement all the way through. And then we felt like we got confirmation, you know, from God, you know, as like, like he's a blackjack dealer, like deal, you got <laughs> it. And um, we shook on it. And then funny enough, our first placement ended up being our son, you know, our first son. So he stayed in our care for 996 days and his placement ended up in adoption. So, mm-hmm. yep, we just kept our one placement. Created a forever family there. Forever family there. Yep. Just, I mean, even just short of that, just, you know, taking kids in and fostering is just such a heroic thing in our community today. Cause you know, you just, you really just never know you. And you know, I'm sure you could say no matter how great the training is or how much of it there is, it's, it, it all starts over and it's all brand new and different the day somebody moves in. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. absolutely. And just like having your own kids, like every kid huh. is so different, you know? So True. It's uh it's an it's a definitely an adjustment. Mm. So, well, thank you guys for everything that you continue to do in that realm of helping helping young people. What are some of the activities and initiatives that you guys have been involved in as supporters of Place of Hope and how do you think they've made an impact on, you know, the community as a whole? Our company, we actually started a we give back referral program. So every month we select a customer who's referred someone to us and donate money or is it 500 yeah 500 dollars to a charity of their choice um mm. yeah and if they don't have a charity which a lot of times they don't have a charity of their choice we we have one <laughs> influence it as much as you can yeah yes. no that's awesome you know i always think about that particular model that you guys do and have for a long time and i always i've always said like can you imagine if every organization did something like that oh. not just for place hope although we'd love that but for any charity for that yeah. matter if if you if every business was to say hey as a part of what we're going to do mm. if you know if this goes through or if we you know, create this contract together or whatever. It's just, that's heroic as well. It's super cool. I love it. it. It's really fun too, like seeing the, because Place of Hope obviously means the world to us, but then seeing like our customers or our referral partners, uh, what they're passionate about. And then we get to do a little piece on them and find out about their charity. And it is, it's just, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very fun aspect of it that, um, that we get to be a part of. And I think our customers and our referral partners appreciate it too. Well, you guys are really good at it. I mean, you're right now you're doing the uh, summer fun, the summer splash with us. Yeah. And, um, you know, I obviously in my role, I see everything that comes into place of open is this, this constant ones that are coming through with your last name tag to it for summer fun. So it's, yeah. it's, it's super cool. And as you know, just like this show, it's, it also helps get the word out about place of hope because as I've said for years, this is, this is not truly supposed to be a state function. The state's involved and they're a great partner with us and so forth, but it's really the community that's supposed to be taking care of the community's kids. And so, 
whether you're doing like you do in, in fostering and creating forever families and adoption or what you just described. Um, and there's so many versions of that that people can do. You know, a lot of people that'll do birthday fundraisers mm-hmm. in lieu of mm-hmm. gifts and or Facebook yeah. fundraisers or whatever. Um, but it also, the secondary thing I'm getting at is that it just really helps spread the word about Place of Hope, yeah. which is oh, yeah. so invaluable. And our, all our staff that we've had come in and out are there. We've done, I think, three times the Party with a Purpose right. yeah. for, for our Christmas. So we'll have our holiday party and everyone knows they're getting list off you know, toys or lists or items from them. And then we're able to tell our staff through the what, two or three Christmases we went through yeah. while we were fostering, we didn't have to buy a Christmas present. Like this is what's going on because of the, you know, the people in the community gathering that it is, it's all huge. Yeah. We actually had a, um, he was a wonderful employee of ours and they, him and his wife became house parents mm-hmm. and he uh, resigned with us yeah. <laughs> to, to work for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was great. I mean. it, was, it was great. It was hard for, it was hard to get upset, but yeah, we took him to like a see for hope luncheon just as like a thank you for him and get to experience this. And then both of him and his wife got the call of like, <laughs> we want to be cottage parents. It's like, uh, okay. how do I say Good. no to that? Well, that's a super great example yeah. of what I'm trying to talk about yeah. here. And, and, you know, again, that's what we hope when people, when listeners hear your story that they think, you know, wow, I, Okay, maybe maybe fostering's not for mm. me. Maybe adoption's not for me. Maybe it is, right? Mm. But but also just to be encouraged by the other things that y'all are doing as well. I'll jump back a little bit. Uh, just share a little bit of your experience in, in fostering and respite care and how it's influenced your perspective on specifically the importance of groups like Place of Hope. Because it's one thing to just be in the work, but it's a, it's another to make sure that you're doing the work in excellence. Because you see, you guys are part of Team Place of Hope. You're not like out here doing Place of Hope. It's all one thing together. So mm. How do you, you know, what's some of your experience and, and why, why do you think it's important to do it with excellence? Well, first of all, the community and the population it's serving to me, children to not give a child the best possibility to just like even no love, mm-hmm. you know, of just feeling a loving environment of knowing that they're supported, not just by whoever's taking care of them financially or in that house, but the whole community. And that's where I think place of hope really steps in because it is so many other aspects to the support that they're doing of traditional foster families. Um, the housing you guys have for age out, like for us, we can't unsee what we've seen. Mm-hmm. So when we stepped into foster care, one of the most, I want to say brutal, but it was, it was brutal is the, is the emails of placements needed mm-hmm. every single day sometimes multiple days, you know, sibling groups that, you know, they want to stay together. And that's in that email for placement of a sibling group of three that's looking to stay together. And I just remember that I still have a file on my Google email of all of those because there was something about getting them and deleting the email that felt not right. right. So I, we would get them, we would pray over the email and then I still have them in a little file wow. on my Gmail of, of, you know, placements on there. Cause it was just, it's just tough. So we know even though our capacity and what we were doing in foster care couldn't continue, mm-hmm. um, we knew we were somehow going to have to stay involved with place of hope and foster care community. We'll be involved with it for the rest of our lives. That really speaks to the need to, I mean, cause obviously, you know, we see those same things and there's just so many organizations in an area that, that actually do, you know, foster care licensing and so forth placement. And so we all see all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just to see so many come through, especially the large sibling groups, the hard mm-hmm. to place kids, pl- ones that have been in multiple placement disruptions, how it's so hard to find the right placement for them. I mean, that's why to this day, we still run 
which we don't really call it this anymore, but an emergency shelter on one of our main campuses, our Paxson campus, because it's typically when they can't find another place for these young, it happens to be boys in that facility, but uh, it's, it's super tough. Yeah. And and that was a really tough one, teenage boys. Yeah. And you knew that that was, those were hard placements, especially sibling groups of teenage boys. And, um, you know, our family wasn't in a position where we could take them in, but like our hearts just went out to that. Well, it's so sad because oftentimes, you know, things get codified a certain way. It's like you see a file on a young boy and it's like, okay, well, he's been involved in this, that, and the other. Well, you know, it's sort of like the attachment scenario we were Mm -hmm. talking about. You know, it's so much of it's not fault of their own. It's just acting out on things that haven't been healed or don't even have a chance of starting to heal. And then all of a sudden they get themselves in a, in a pickle in a tight place. And then it just looks really bad. And oftentimes, you know, we've uh, stepped out in faith and for a lot, and I'm sure you all have too, where, you know, just, you, you just go above and beyond. And all of a sudden you see that this kid, Johnny or whatever, is just, just a great kid. Just mm-hmm. needed a shot. Absolutely. Right? I mean, I think that's really where our call came from. We were team parents with a ton of help and resources and support. And I think just learning that these kids aren't bad kids, bad seeds, or even just their circumstances where they come from. They just don't have what we were Mm -hmm. blessed or privileged with. Um, I think about that all the time. You you, you started to allude to the the housing that we have for over 18. I remember when that first became an issue for us, and that was a long time ago, but um, we learned about it and then thankfully we're able to do something about it but now it's it's our largest area mm. of expansion because um we like to sh- call it a hand up program at mm-hmm. that age right so it's not just you know, get to move in and do whatever you want but the need for it is tremendous because of what you just said that you know even when they're younger there's just knowing that they don't have that same support network that most of us have at some level mm-hmm. and some of them have None of it. We had a, actually today, we had a great article that ran in the Palm Beach Post for Place of Hope, but it was specifically about a young man that was in our care as a, as a under 18. And then, of course, stayed with us and now is just doing a phenomenal, he's just yeah. making it, you know, and and it's again, it's not a it's not a give me program. It's just right. it's what's necessary when you miss those critical formative years and and so mm-hmm. many other things in life. But but uh, that's like you got that's what I, I mean, we love about Place of Hope. You you see, we imagine it started as foster care, right? And then you see all the different gaps of what leads to that. And then you guys coming in and filling that away. Cause I remember when we went through maps, like the statistics of incarceration rate after 18, homelessness after 18, um, is terrible. And you think about when you were 18, or if we have two adult children, if you have adult children, just no resources after 18, right? Like, Hey, you're an adult now. Good luck. Oh, you don't have your driver's license because you were in the foster care for the last 10 years. No one taught you how to drive. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even though we're expanding and we, and we have a great program for over 18, we still wish that, you know, finality could be found, permanency could be found for every young person if they had to come into the foster care system mm-hmm. through a, a beautiful scenario, like a forever family, like you guys have done and accomplished, or, you know, be able to go home to a, to a healthy family, you know? Mm-hmm. So I always say that villages of hope and post 18 foster care really should be last resort. And then that, that in between is, Hey, if we get a kid on the, on the tracks, correctly and young man or woman wants to go straight off to school hey that's even better too so mm-hmm. or or that's great you know option so what advice or insights would you guys give or offer to other families who are considering being foster parents and and there's any are there any resources and support system that have been um, particularly valuable to you guys so when while we were fostering and even a, up to a couple years after we would go into the map classes where they could uh, ask questions to a to a current foster family, and we found from that we were always asked to come back and bring our our biological daughters mm-hmm. because 
we really did. We involved our kids in it um, so much uh, that our daughters knew that this was like a family ministry that we were going to do. You know, some people are called to go to another country that we felt called to do this, that it was yeah. going to be our family ministry and that they had to be on board. We gave them a, a book, uh, The One Factor okay. by Doug Sauter, who oh, used yeah. to oversee four kids mm-hmm. down south. Um, and that had just has a couple short, like individual stories of like who the kids are. Right. Cause I think it takes away a lot of the misconceptions of a foster child and what that is and really paints a situation of who is entering the system due to abuse, neglect, and abandonment. Right. And that was powerful for them. So I think involving your kids, I think gaining as much information as you can, listening to podcasts like this, searching podcasts about foster care, reading as much material. And I think finding a good, like-minded organization. I think we kind of got lucky and being, you know, put in with place of hope because sharing the worldview is very powerful too. talking mm-hmm. to other people who have gone through fostering and not ha- necessarily having that same relationship with someone helping them because it can sometimes I think feel like it's foster parents versus the state right. or the courts or well, anything like one that. One of the, one of the th- like words I thought of when you were talking about worldview, cause obviously that's a, well, that's a large conversation, but one of them, as you said earlier, is like commitment being committed. We're, we were going to get into this and, and not fail in mm-hmm. some particular young person's life. We were going to see it through. Um, I mean, that, that you could look at the a worldview on the word commitment and uh, <laughs> you guys certainly have accomplished that. But there's, I mean, there's, you know, there's probably five words like that that are absolutely critical in these kids' lives, commitment, yeah. you know, so that they're not bouncing around from place to place, which as we all know, makes things a lot worse. Yeah. And I think when you, when you do, you look at those statistics and you find out like how far behind a kid gets in education for every placement and what the average foster child who goes all the way to 18 in the system, how many times they've been moved. And you start adding that up of if they've been moved five times and we've discovered that each time they're moved is nine months back on their education. Exactly. You've got somebody graduating with maybe a seventh, eighth grade education. Right. We Um, shouldn't be surprised at all. mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost like you can't pinpoint blame anywhere in there, but the, Mm -hmm. the system as a whole nationally is just, it's not built to really regulate and monitor those kinds of things. And then if you've got, if, you know, if everybody has a, a varying uh, definition in their own world of what commitment really looks like, you know, then it doesn't, shouldn't find it strange that mm-hmm. there's these placed placement disruptions and so forth. And it's linked directly to their, their formative years in every way, relationships, education, et cetera. So yeah. that's tough. Share with us a memorable moment uh, or experience from your journey as foster parents that really stands out for you. You probably have a, probably have a million of them, but uh Oh, <laughs> for me, I'm going to, I'm going to sound, I'm going to sound like a wuss. I, when I think back of the three years of us fostering, I don't think I've ever cried or prayed as much as I did in those three years. I mean, you know, being a Christian and a Christ follower, always looking for ways to submit to yourself, die to yourself a little bit more every day and live for Christ. And then there's also the male side of me that is a doer you know, and a provider and a wanting to do things. So I think I'm, I was always able to talk about, you know, my family being gods and I'm there to serve them um, or, you know, the business is in ultimately in God's control, but I put forth a lot of effort to make sure that it goes well as well. <laughs> and then fostering all of those Lee Wigglesworths, it's completely removed because there's no control. There's no control of anything. When we get a text that says, Hey, I had a meeting with, the magistrate and we found a relative 
you know, stay tuned might be three to four days and you have, you know, your nine month old that you've cared for since birth and you're like wrapping your head around, okay, this just drastically changed. Now there's a relative. We have to be prepared Mm. to reunify them with their family. It's just the ups and downs and the amount of dependency that we had to have on each other and continue to communicate. And then also just full, absolute full reliance on God and just knowing he was in control. I remember pleading with him sometimes in prayers of like, please don't let this scenario play out because his life won't be as good. You know, their life won't, it's just my mortal understanding of like, I'm the best, you know, I'm the best for this, this situation. And I remember in my prayer thinking him thinking you, you pray every night. The most thing you care about is that they'll know me like, absolutely. And he's like, what if, the best way for them to know me is in some prison ministry. Mm. And that hit me in the gut. Cause yeah. I was like, I do not want this nine month old in any prison ministry, you know, yeah. on that side of it. Right. Then, but ultimate reliance, but yeah, ultimate reliance is like, if that is the best way for him to know you, <laughs> that is what I have to submit to, you yeah. know, like that I'm not in control and I don't know. So it's, it was just all of those. That's kind of similar to when I, you know, if you, we meet somebody new that supporting place hope or whatever, and they'll inherently ask. Them, so give, you know, similar question. I asked you like what, you know, they'll say, what's a six step you know, tell me your favorite success story at place over whatever, or how do you define success? And I I've always said the same thing. There's so many ways for us to define success because every kid's so different. They've all been through such different journeys. Trauma levels for some are even way higher than others. And, you know, we've had kids that have come in here with close to a hundred placement disruptions before mm. they got to us. Cause you can imagine, right? So I've always said for some of our kids, if we can just get them to be able to look up and to rely on God and to sort of check themselves in terms of how they used to respond to things so they don't get themselves into, you know, physical harm or danger. And, um, and then just to try to focus day by day on the future, that kid's going to be successful. Yeah. So, and then, you know, fast forward all the way through to the kids that go off and get their bachelor's and master's degrees or own their own little company or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really starts right there too. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, my, I think the memorable thing for, for me, the takeaway, it's not necessarily an experience, but I think it made, or not, like one moment, it made um, us change how we parented. Uh, yeah. Not that we took our kids for granted, our biological children, but we definitely learned to to live day by day. <laughs> and and that, for, for at least my personality, that was a feat. And yeah. <laughs> like that was... Um, you know, when the day was hard, it was, okay, I'll get to the next hour. But we learned to, the boys, our boys were wonderful, but they were, they were difficult. It was sure. hard. It was a hard situation to have no control. We'd be in a car screaming children and looking at each other and learning to just be thankful for that horrible moment. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. wow. They're here. That's, they're with us. That's going to encourage some people. Where, right? yeah, <laughs> where, it, it, I mean, like, whereas before I would have thought it was a horrible mo- moment. Right, right. It, it wasn't. There's it was deeper, to be yeah. thankful and, and to learn to, you know, they're, they're with us wow, and we're, we're, I got to hang out with you guys more. And the attack, like if they're crying yeah, and screaming, it's because they, they have know. learned that, once we stop like, this car, their needs can be met. Like, right. this is okay. We want to give a special thanks and shout out to our presenting sponsor, Crypto Capital Venture. Crypto Capital Venture acts as both a startup recruiting firm as well as one of the largest crypto communities in the cryptocurrency space. 
offering trailblazing content for over five years. If you're interested in crypto, you can join over 300,000 subscribers on their YouTube channel for the latest on crypto. Just go to YouTube and search Crypto Capital Venture and make sure to subscribe. Thanks so much, Dan and our friends at Crypto Capital Venture. If you go back to that training part, we talked about, you know, the foster care training and all that stuff. I know one of the things we've always tried to do at Place Hope over the years is to tell people whatever program they're in with us, they're thinking about fostering or thinking about working in villages is, is understanding too that, um, you know, you're seeing things that are coming out of places that you really don't understand where they're coming mm-hmm. from behaviorally, et cetera. But one of the things we've always done is tried to like for lack of a better term, warn people about the realities up front, not sugarcoat it with, oh, this is just going to be nothing but pure ministry here. It is. But at the same time, that doesn't mean anything will be difficult, right. super difficult. So. And and I felt like you guys did a great job of that for us because there were definitely people we took the class with that you could tell were Ooh. there to kind of this saying of like foster to adopt. And that in our class, they pretty much took that out. They're like, yeah. don't think like that. Right. Because- it's so, you know, they knew the percentages of how many come through to adoption. And it's like your your heart will be broken over and over again if that's the goal. Here's the cold reality. Yeah, I think it. the honesty and like it was brutally honest of the the reality yeah. um, gave me the courage to do it. Might have scared somebody else that came that same right. night out the room, but sure. it gave you courage. And I think that if it did, it served its purpose. Yeah. They weren't, you know, it wasn't their time or... Yeah, because I think without doing that, I mean, you look at the one thing you will hear kind of commonly from people when they think about fostering or they think about adoption in a general sense, they think, oh, but I've heard these terrible stories about, you know, the kids being ripped away and so forth. So, and yeah, and it can happen, mm-hmm. as you know, and it, and things and reunifications happen and so forth. So I think, like you said, you know, knowing that up front and the reality of that is best mm-hmm. or the possibility of that happening. So absolutely. Could you speak a little bit about the resources available to foster parents? Um you know, through the state or, you know, are there health insurance, free college for foster children, people hear about any other support systems that have benefited uh, children you've served? Yeah, there's a ton. Um, I mean, even as from the very beginning, their formula, you know, the, the I believe it's WIC, the WIC program. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So we had help with that. Even the clothing. I mean, we started over, so we had nothing. Right. And I think Place of Hope even helped us with the crib. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think g- giving people the opportunity to serve outside of foster care, yeah. like we let our church know what we were doing and our church ultimately spoke from the pulpit of what we were doing and put our need list for baby items on an Amazon list. Mm-hmm. And we got everything. That's I mean, awesome. stuff we wouldn't spend our own money on. Like people were going above and beyond and getting the Eddie Bauer edition yeah. stroller. We were like, Wow, oh, <laughs> we never had this for our own kids. That's awesome. Um, but then, yeah, the I know one of our initial questions in that orientation class was, okay, if this goes through to adoption, I know how much health insurance costs because I pay for that. I know how much college costs because I've, I've paid for that twice. Right. And then finding out that, yeah, they their co- health care is covered. Our, our youngest went through three surgeries um, while he was in foster care. Wow. So it paid for the surgeries and the, the therapy afterwards, the physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, every, I mean, yeah, I think they have better health insurance than we do. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it though, I, mean, I would bet a lot of listeners have no idea that that's all correct. You know, part of things there that they really are in the custody of the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not that that's a good thing in any way, but they are. And so 
really that's that's the least that they should be providing, but right. they do. And I think a lot of people don't realize yeah. that. Yeah. They both have glasses and that's paid for and for for the most part. And um yeah, their college will be they choose to go to college. Yeah, even though we've adopted because they were, I think it's six months. You might know better than I if, if, if how long they're in care qualifies them. So as long as they go to a Florida public university, their tuition and fees are are covered in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of taken care of. Even, you know, the the stipend's not much, mm-hmm. but you know, there are other resources there. And two, I think again, just letting people know what you're doing. Place of hope is there. We met other foster parents. They ended up starting like Treasure Coast Foster Closet yeah. down in, down in yeah. Stewart, where it's job, just yeah. a, you know, kind of a carousel of the the items that you need for different ages. It's so crazy. When you're not in it, you don't know. And then as soon as you're in, it's like you're in this club. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, everybody that's fostering and they, they really, it's a huge family and yeah. they pull together and... I mean, that was really humbling. Well, you know, for, for the uh, material support side that you guys were talking about, that just that side of what that meant for you all to have, you know, you get into it and you don't have really anything because you're kind of starting over. And mm-hmm. of course, right pre placement, you don't know if you're getting a 12 year old boy or a six year old boy, whatever it is. Right. So, um, one of the things we launched many years ago was a support program just to anybody that's kind of in any way touching the outskirts are right in the middle of the child welfare system. We, we provided that kind of support, especially if you were licensed by us and so forth. But now that we've seen over the last couple of years, so many children going into relative and non-relative placements, which is basically, as you know, it's the same as foster care. It's just not, not licensed. And it's usually with a grandmother or an aunt or mm-hmm. somebody, a friend of the family. Um, but now we're talking, the numbers are outrageous. How many have been diverted that? direction just in South Florida. And so as a result of, you know, thankfully I have a great board of directors and went to them and said, we need to divert here and go in this direction in a big way and fast. Um, and the communities gathered around us to where we're serving about 120, 100 to 120 families regionally each month with material support. So it's just like you described, there's a move in and all of a sudden you don't, you don't have any of the clothing, you don't have the crib, you don't have the car seat, you know, maybe some food would be helpful, All the, especially when we're dealing with all the inflation we're dealing with. That's a whole other issue right now. I, you know, if I, if I were to um, sort of bet, I guess, I would think that there's, we're, we're, we're probably going to, if this continues economically the way it is with, with inflation be the way it is, I think we're going to potentially see less people stepping up and stepping into foster care simply because of the cost, mm-hmm. you know, even though there are those supports out there. But for us, it's it's probably uh, becoming one of the fastest moving things that we're doing. Um, and, to help and, us I, and I love that because you guys are even doing that, like you said, to keep them in relative care right. or, or something like that. And to me, that's so incredible because I don't know if you've ever run into it, but you ever run into like a cynic that doesn't, that looks at Place of Hope or any charity through squinted eyes. Have you ever seen that trouble? Never. <laughs> Never. Yes, <laughs> of course. But, you know, just talking to, to people who truly believe that charities are self-serving right. and that because that it's a business and not a charity. And for, for me to see Place of Hope, that's, that is reaching out to serve children, but also realizing what's in the best interest of the child sometimes is to be with a relative um, and to support that relative, just like you would a foster family. Just that big picture mindset to me is something that just makes Place of Hope so much more real. Well, you know, it's interesting too. That, uh, the other thing I've always loved about Place of Hope and our, you know, our board and our team is that we're very entrepreneurial. We're always going to be that way. Uh, and that is that we can pivot and go in a direction where there's a need. And especially in the realm of owning our 
homes and our real estate and our apartment buildings is that you know if there's a if there's just an overnight change in the population that's needing those homes or that apartment so for instance we, we serve a lot more moms with dependent children right now single moms who are found living in cars and homeless and living in parks and so forth and some were in foster care some weren't but as you know they're a prime i don't want to say target but they're 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 being potentially looked at for removal of their children mm -hmm. because of poverty or because right. of a short term mm -hmm. running from something. And so to be able to take them in, not only is it, is it meeting the needs of those in need of a uh, healthy transition to success, but we're potentially keeping kids out of foster care yeah. right. at the same time Which and then amazing. teaching them how to parent. So and with, and with their mothers. And like you said, like giving them that hand up because Sometimes that's all it needs, but on the outside, it can look so much like neglect and yep. really neglect is a single mom who has no resources, who has no clue how to do it, who's loves her kid and needs help. And that's where a place of hope can come in sure. and give that love and, and being able to turn and, and meet those needs fast, mm -hmm. you know, um, why we're now on our new Stewart campus, that's going to be a pro pretty much the, the number one thing we're doing up there is expanding affordable transitional housing because concurrently, we talked about the economy, but look at the housing prices, right? Oh, so man. it's really hard for people to make it right now. Right. And we don't want everybody just moving out of town, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. And no, what you said was something that we learned. I think in, initially before we got into it, we thought, oh, these are just parents who abuse or neglect their children. And we were just so wrong or misinformed and learned that it's exactly what you're talking about. And, and the reason we wanted to do it is it's, it's sometimes it's just, they're just dealt a raw deal yeah. and they don't have the help or the leg up or the, or the resources and place of hope has totally stepped in, in that gap and really walked the walk. But partnering with great people like you, because we can't <laughs> do it without you. And so, um, you know, I've always said too, never to forget that a lot of, you know, we, we, you talked about kind of the tumultuous side of the potentially having, you know, someone in your care, when you meet with a magistrate having to go home. And so, and that's a, that's a tough thing to do. And, you know, even, even when it's the right thing to do, it's, it's still a, a tough thing to walk through, especially for, for you. I've never experienced that directly, except for the kids that are, you know, on our campuses before. Then there's been some really tough times we've, you know, grappled with and wanted to wrestle and, and so forth. Um, but, you know, there's just, there's that side of just knowing that we're here to plant seeds, you know? And so, you know, we have had a lot of young people that have gone home into bio families and so forth and made it and reported back and they're, and they're doing great. But so you guys are seed planters. We're trying to seed plant and that's, that's daily. Um, now you mentioned uh, at one point to us, the support you received from our former employee who everybody on the planet knows, and that's Jenny O'Neill uh, during your fostering journey. Her. Yeah. She's awesome. Tell us, tell our listeners about uh, the help she provided you and, and Jenny specifically, but also Jenny in kind of in her role. Like why was that important? When you were fostering the family support specialist, do you guys still call it the family support specialist? I think we do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we, I feel bad in, and I don't know any of your current family support specialists. So if they're listening, I don't mean to insult them, but we got the best family support specialist that was available. Um, Jenny was perfect for us and our family. She, her whole life mission has been for the orphan. Um, I think her and her husband, Travis, became cottage parents at like 22. Oh yeah. Like, so their entry to newlyweds was raising that critical group of five teenage boys yep. um, in a house. So while most 22 year olds I knew were 
not taking care of five teenage boys that barely taking care of themselves. <laughs> I was going to, um, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what, that's what she was doing and what the call was on her life. So she ran our, our licensing class. She was extremely direct. Um, she's just a no nonsense kind of person. And I think God knew that that's exactly what we needed. And she was a huge support. Didn't need them dancing around the issues. No, and- uh, give it to me straight. Yep. And mm-hmm. so she was, she's very, obviously she's still em- empathetic and, she has a huge heart, but she was just very real. And I think when you're in it, you know, she's who I would go to for my mom. My mm-hmm. mom's never been in this situation. She right. didn't foster. And it is, I said like a club before, but it is, it's just, you don't know. Right. And so, you know, when I needed to like vent or kind of just cry, she would hear me and listen, of course. And then like, but this is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. Yeah. And here's who you're going to call mm-hmm. or I'll call this person and, and, you know, chip, chop, chip. And <laughs> well, cause you're also naturally not just caregivers, you're advocates. Mm-hmm. And so that's a whole nother side of your personality. I'm certain that comes out when mm-hmm. you're, you're wanting to go to battle for this child that's in your care. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you want somebody who's going to support that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Megan and Jenny are similar kind of in that Meg- Megan would have this huge folder of all their visits you know, when they happened, what they had, what happened with them, if they were canceled, why they were canceled, um, different, you know, just her record keeping was meticulous and a spot on. And we would go to these hearings, these placement hearings, and these caseworkers are overloaded with mm-hmm. cases. So you see them being asked a question by the judge or the magistrate and they're fumbling through and they're usually saying incorrect information like, oh, I think the last one was yesterday. Right. And yeah. then Megan would be like, you know, we're in the back, just supposed to not have a part, but she's like, I have the records of the visitations. Here they are. They haven't happened in four months. But that's exactly what should be taking place to create a quality care environment for a young person who's at the neediest point in their life possible to have to be removed from family, placed in a system, whatever you call that system, foster care. And I, and I can tell you right now, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Not everybody has advocated at the level or been as organized at the level or been just 100% for that child in every way to take that kind of energy and apply it because that that's the way it should be. And it's not. And as a result, you know, a lot of kids do really fall through the cracks or they don't get out as fast as they could or they don't have the best outcomes. It would be very, very easy. And I think that's what jenny and that position was for us like they knew with their experience that she's no one don't trust the case manager caseworker to keep those notes you keep those notes right. you take them if you can you don't have to go to these hearings but if you can be there right. because right. these are the things and conversations that are going to come up and if you can have that stuff readily available so her have gone going through that could tell us another big thing for that i feel like for her is our our placements didn't have at the beginning a guardian ad litem mm. and we were told that we weren't going to. So for people who don't know, that's a courted, court appointed advocate. Some states call them CASAs, right? So right. we have in this town GALs. So. For the child. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. technically they look at us in those hearings and we're the foster parents. So our vantage point is obviously skewed towards the, what's best beneficial for us. But a guardian ad litem, that third party, uh, can truly speak supposedly to the best interest of the child. And we were told, you're not eligible. That was a mm-hmm. unique case. Mm-hmm. Because... What- yeah, their biological mother was it, still talk about it being generational and cyclical. She was in the foster care system herself. Okay. Uh-huh. So right. she was underage. And- yeah. Yep. And, and she, she had was an part advocate. of that. She had exactly. An, yeah. mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, that, but Jenny got on that and 
Whereas us normally not knowing foster care, just going through it, we probably would have taken that first response of no, they're not eligible right. and just stuck with it. And Jenny really went out there and talked to people and explained the case and explained why she thinks they should have one. And lo and behold, we got one. And at, at one of their hearings, the guardian of the line of attorney was there and just had everything on there and voiced pretty clearly to the judge what they felt was in the best interest of the child after they've been in our care for three years mm-hmm. was to to stay unified with the only family they knew. Right. And I think that was right. extremely important. Um, and I don't know that we would have fought those extra battles to make sure that they got that. Oh, and I, I don't know. I think you would have tried for sure. Tried. <laughs> you would have figured something out, but I mean, that, that, you know, I like to always think about how we, we would train our entire program staff to be that advocate. You know, obviously some are better than others, but that's the whole idea is it truly is about best interest of the child because none of us would really want to be doing this otherwise as, mm-hmm. as a mission calling or, you know, we, we've, we've been called by God to do this work. And so why would we not want to go all out for it? But I'll tell you, it's interesting over the years, a lot of people don't realize place of hope is not quote party to the case legally in these cases. And so we're often in the same position as, as you guys might be where uh, we don't know something uh, we're not really allowed to ask about it. And not only that, but if we think something's wrong, we really, they, in some ways they don't care what we think, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, we've, we've always managed to kind of push back there as well, as much as we possibly can, maybe just a lot, a lot of times using the, the leverage of being a well-respected organization with, again, people like you as in the wings of that. Right. And so, you know, we've had to use that leverage in the past and thankfully found the right voices most, most of those times, but, you know, without it, it would be really, really tough to do mm-hmm. any kind of fostering, I think. So, um, so how has your experience as a foster family affected you personally? How has it changed your perspective and influenced your own life (laughs) Oh man! in every way, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. In every way we started as a family of four and now we're a family of six. We have two sons that like God grafted into our family that, that wouldn't have been ours. I mean, I think about like the generational impact at all. It'll have, yes. um, which is something I don't think I still don't truly fathom. I remember one time reading a commentary on Genesis, the Cain and Abel story and Cain kills Abel and God says, you know, I, his blood is crying out to me in this commentary. I wrote that, you know, imagine from a God standpoint, what that was. He just saw half of the potential of humanity at that moment wiped out. Yeah. And that's kind of how I look at the children that place of hope is serving in the foster care. It's not just that child, it's generation upon generation of children and children and children that are come after that. So like the last name Wigglesworth, what is that going to look like in, oh, in two years? Right. When, or for those who can't, can't see us on, uh, you know, on the podcast or whatever, our two, our we're Caucasian we're and, our, and our adoptive <laughs> sons are not. Right. Uh, so they, they do not look like us. Um, there's no question that, that they didn't come from either of us. So, and that's, I guess what I'm alluding to of just how we've been impacted for that, our our daughters, um, Michaela, our youngest daughter is going to school, um, to get her social, her master's in social work. Like she wants to be a Ginny O'Neill. She's since she was 10 years old, she's like, I want to be a place of hope family support specialist. And she hasn't wavered from that since she was 10. And that's what she's going to school for now. Tell her to hurry up because we're looking for people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think, uh, it being generational for sure. I remember feeling guilty actually when we let our license, we were thinking about letting our license expire once we adopted uh, two two children and felt just 
guilty um, because, we, again, we were still receiving those emails. And what was once supposed to be one year, right? We made our deal with God. <laughs> it went on for three and and then. And now it's forever. Now we're going to. Oh, we're, we're, yeah. Now. And I remember having to call Jenny because yeah. I, I was really struggling with it. And I, I don't know why, but I just needed like her approval. Like, I'm not this. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, her approval or just her giving me again the courage that it's okay. By the way, you're doing this for a lifetime now for yeah. two, two children. And it, yeah. like I knew it, but it was just like, it's still your ministry. It's just going to look different and you yeah. don't need the license and. Um, and I think she even gave me like logistical reasons why it's better for place of hope. And because then we can, we can license more. Yes. Or something like that. I was like, Oh, right. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it. And, 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 and although different, I mean, yes, you are doing uh, for, for lifetime with your boys and, but also the things that you're doing that we're talking about today, like doing this show where people can hear um, what it's really like. It's a whole lot different for me to just sit here and speak about statistics and what it's like and so forth. I've never fostered in my own home. My wife and I haven't done that. So you can speak to that, not where I can't. And people are going to hear that when they, they have questions um, or who knows, it might just be used as the thing that God uses to call them and draw them in to, to hear more. Right. Um, but also the things that you do as a, as a family and as a company and the, the summer splash that you're doing, all those things are allowing us to have that umbrella out there, uh, to, to hopefully find more people that will come in and do the hands-on as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I think the other thing too, and May- Megan hit on it was when we got into this, it was like, I can serve kids and babies. And I always thought of whoever's going to abuse, neglect, or abandon a child, there's not much worse, right? Like scum of the earth. And that was my black and white viewpoint of it. Sure. And then we get in here and we find out about their biological mom and it becomes a lot more gray, a lot more convoluted. And it's not, it's not as simple as good and bad. And I think so that has changed our perspective of everything. Um, yeah. with, with the boys being, different races than us, even just the way we view racial relationships and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, we, when we adopted our, our oldest changed his, his middle name is Ananias after Ananias and Damascus. Cause I truly feel like him being our entry into foster care that God used him to really pull back the scales on our eyes, um, for just everything, uh, that it was going on there. So yeah, it's, it's impacted us and our children Deeply. and their yeah. children. And it's awesome. What, what, one of the, I did, I told the, the staff the other day, one of the favorite things we do every year is our end of the year graduation for the kids that are in our care that are either um, finishing high school. Well, actually we try to celebrate them at kindergarten right around May, right? Kindergarten, middle school, you know, we, we look at obviously high school and then we had college. So we had between, we had 12 just this, this past week that we did our own ceremony with and so forth, but just hearing them, seeing them, you know, want to be there. They had their own at their own schools and so forth, but now having this one at play. So, and then just hearing some of their stories and some, some of them will go as far as, you know, giving you details about what things were like prior, you know, mm. you know, pre-removal and so forth. And, and just knowing that us as a community at the community of place of being able to do what we do and just seeing the trajectories change, um, man, <laughs> it is the best and I love it. So. It's awesome. That's, and that happens to be one of my favorite things we do. Um, I think you've, I, I'm going to skip down the, um, 
just a little bit of advice or suggestions you'd offer listeners who might be interesting, interested in fostering and um, maybe, you know, and want to make a meaningful impact? How could they get started and navigate the process? Or you might say, hey, no, don't do it at all. Do this. <laughs> I don't know what, what, what your answer might be, but. I think there's a lot of ways. It doesn't necessarily just have to be taking in babies or children of any age into your home. You, you know, you could get your foot wet by just, I mean, even just donating. You know, I, I think there was a Thanksgiving drive that we did one year, which was huge or I know our former employee that became a house parent, we did um, like a wigs. Yeah. Don't there's just, you could start small. I, yeah. I think I would say start small, but for me personally, it was going to an orientation. Yeah. Yeah. See what it's um, like. I, I think if somebody is listening to this and thinking about it, that that's <laughs> something they should be listening to. Right. Because I think there's so many people who you can go through and not realize these are kids that are sitting in classrooms with your kids. Yeah. Like they're not, it, it's, it's, the, these are kids in our community. Um, and if you're thinking about it, you're probably the person to do it that you probably, you probably are getting that call. At least go learn partners. more, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like go, go find out, have your questions answered. Like we do. We had a lot of reasons why not to do it. Right. And to be honest with you, there was two reasons that never got eliminated. Um, and those were that it would damage our biological kids in some way. And that the other one was, we didn't know if we would ever be able to love a child and have them reunified, um, which was their case plan goal for almost the whole entire time. And those fears never got taken away. They were just something that we had to address with it. I remember praying over that uh, before we started. Um, and I felt like God again, gave me a gut punch and said, Lee, you're looking at this like your biological kids. I can't take them home whenever I want. And it just floodgates of he's right. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow with them. And he said, I'm not asking you to care for them for their entire lifetimes. I'm asking you to care for them as long as I trust you as the custodian to give them mm -hmm. care, regardless of biological or foster. It's powerful. And that way it was, <laughs> it was very powerful. <laughs> and I, in it, changed our perspective even of raising our own kids of we they're they're ours yeah but they're his yeah you know and there are so many ways as you were describing too people i mean i always say hey you could do a diaper drive right because mm -hmm. we have a lot of babies that are in and out of care we have babies in our maternity home and and diapers are expensive especially as we're helping these single moms in transition mm -hmm. you know again it's not a free-for-all program it, it's a hand up to try to you know offset some of the things that make it impossible for that mom for instance to actually go back to school try to juggle three jobs, try to pay the rents that are fair market around this area and make all that work. And that's why typically they won't. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why the child welfare system's hovering right here a lot of the times. And that's why people do, you know, miss one bill payment and they're living in their car and, and behind a, a bank, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, and so if we can stop that and, and some of the ways are seem small, right? right. But they're, they all come together to make a powerful impact. And that's why it just might be as simple as a food drive or a diaper drive or, all the way down the line, showing up and, and, and going to an orientation and, mm -hmm. and just learning more. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, and even we had like people who were genuinely concerned for us and like our family's well being and had concerns about us doing it. I think sometimes the response is like, well, you can't help them all. Right. And, and, th and that's true. But if you can just do your one part, right. And even if it's, you know, 
not even just one child, one yeah. placement, it, it makes a big difference. I, it's it's like the uh, Christmas wish list thing when you think about it, like you were talking about earlier. Is that people say, "Well, how do I get involved in that?" Well, you can look at a wish list from one child. Right. You could look at an entire cottage or foster family, or you could look at a whole campus if you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you just want to help one, just that's one. fine with us as well. Okay. And, and, and thinking awesome. too of like the uh, the the churches. You know, I know when we were going through, and I think even still now, our, our current church will do like uh, give foster parents a date night. Yeah, And like, you can bring your kids to our Sunday school for this night on Wednesday, once a month. And just that volunteer who's giving up their three hours yeah. to, to oh, rock with a child gives so impact. much relief mm-hmm. to a foster parent. Absolutely. Um, so just little things like no, nothing yeah. is too small. Yeah. Yeah. Even, yeah. Like you said, it could just be your time. Well, and I appreciate all these ideas too, because I, I love putting it out there for people that, you know, might not even know the right questions to ask or what the pitfalls might be as, as and barriers and so forth. But, um, finally, uh, summarize the significance of, uh, Place Hope's work in just a few words. I'll slow down my question how fast I ask it so you can think a little bit. <laughs> um, what would you say to inspire others and in supporting the mission overall? Because after all, you're ambassadors at ambassadors. Place Hope. I believe we're called to be kingdom builders, that we are called to, as Christ followers and Christians, to make his kingdom here on earth, to make earth look as much as it possibly can like heaven. And Place of Hope is doing kingdom work um, in their own, in our own backyard, in, in people here in Florida. We don't have to fly everywhere. We don't have to trust that some organization here or there, this is an organization right here that I'm sure... Charles would talk to them and answer any questions or get the right people that can't answer their questions in there. Like um, you guys. <laughs> like us that, that are doing it. Um, so, I mean, that's to me, I, I don't know how to get more significant than that, than what Place of Hope is doing, that, that they're building the kingdom of heaven on earth for these kids. That's awesome. Well, listen, you guys are true ambassadors. Um I love your story. I love as I've watched it over the years unfold. It continues to. You walked in here today to, to start the show with us this episode. And, you know, I just saw the smiles on the boys' faces. And that just, <laughs> it says so much, as you know. I mean, it's just seeing their smiles and knowing how they feel safe and loved and secure. And, uh, you know, you know, I, I will likely leave here, go back to one of our campuses today. And I may just very well see somebody that just moved in last night and they may not have that same. Mm-hmm. Well, I know they won't have that same look on their face, but you know, to see, to know that it can transform and in the right circumstances with God's power will, um, is, is a real blessing. So thank you guys for being ambassadors of hope at place of hope. Absolutely. Thank Thanks for still giving us the <laughs> platform to tell our story. Yep. Oh, you'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys. Thank Thanks. You. <laughs> Welcome to Hope in Action. Today we have an inspiring story of Ambassadors of Hope shining a light on the incredible power of adoption. We are thrilled to announce the official adoption of two remarkable six-year-old twins who have captivated our hearts since day one. With great love and compassion, the dedicated house parents have welcomed them into their forever family, a haven where they are cherished and embraced unconditionally. This heartwarming development fills our lives with immeasurable joy and ignites a renewed sense of hope. So much can grow from even just one small seed of hope. Thank you for becoming a part of our community, helping us grow, and becoming an ambassador of hope yourself. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single uplifting moment. 
For further details and information on how you can connect with us, please go to placeofhope.com slash podcast. That's placeofhope.com forward slash podcast. And we'd love to hear from you anytime. Please email us at pohpodcast at placeofhope.com or find us on social media. Ambassadors of Hope, placing hope in a child's future.